Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Andy Anders on what is certainly a big week for the Ohio State football team as the Buckeyes prepare to play Notre Dame in a game that uh, has been circled on the calendar since before the season started. I think uh, this is the game that we've all been looking forward to as the really first big test of the year for the Buckeyes. They've already played three games against Indiana, Youngstown State, and Western Kentucky, but We expected all of those to be pretty easy wins for the Buckeyes, and they were, particularly this most recent game on Saturday against Western Kentucky. And so uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about with that Notre Dame game. And I think one thing that's certainly true for Ohio State right now is that it's going into Notre Dame game with maybe more confidence than it had even a few days ago because of how well it played against Western Kentucky. Yeah, and I, I don't think that Western Kentucky performance is certainly it's certainly not one to discount. Um, I would think you know there's an argument to be made that Western Kentucky is the best team Ohio State's played so far. Uh, I think them and Indiana would have a pretty good game on a neutral field, and so the fact that they beat them by 53 points or is a is a great sign of where the team is at and how far they've come in these first three weeks. Absolutely, I think it was clearly Ohio State's best performance of the season to date, and like you said, because. I think Western Kentucky, I mean, it's certainly a step up in competition from Youngstown State. I think Western Kentucky likely proves to be a better team this year than Indiana. And certainly on the offensive side of the ball, uh, it was an uptick in production for Ohio State against Western Kentucky, but also a really impressive performance for the defense who we, we talked about this was going to be a test for the Ohio State defense going up against an offense that led the entire country in passing yards last season. And Ohio State was able to hold that team to only 10 points and 284 total yards. The fewest Western Kentucky has had in any game since the start of the 2021 season. And so I pose to you, Andy, What was more impressive to you on Saturday, Ohio State's offensive performance or Ohio State's defensive performance? I mean, it was the defense to me, right? I mean, you had some early hiccups in that game. Um, You know, Western Kentucky had a couple scoring drives early, but after that, they really settled in and dominated this this passing attack, which doesn't get dominated very often. Uh, And this, you know, Western Kentucky's offense is categorically much better than its defense. I think that's where, you know, going into the week, we all knew that's where the test was going to lie. And they passed with flying collars, I think. Uh, For me, one of the bigger standouts in that regard was Josh Proctor. We'll get into some some more individuals a little later, but on the whole, for me, I think the defense was more impressive, not just in in the fact that they were able to make some fourth down stops as the game went on, get the ball back to the offense, but they had big plays in this game. They created four turnovers, and I think that was another step in their evolution of, you know, making those extra opportunities out of big defensive plays for the offense. Yeah, I mean, I look at the fact that West Ohio State's defense outscored Western Kentucky's offense, which certainly was not something that I would have predicted going into this game. And so I agree. I I think it was a most impressive performance by the Ohio State defense. Uh, We saw they continued to do a great job of not allowing big plays, but they also made big plays themselves, forcing four turnovers, turning two of those turnovers into touchdowns. And so that's certainly the balance that you want. I think in the first couple games, we kind of talked about they were doing a good job of not giving up big plays, but maybe that was coming a little bit at the expense of actually making big plays. In this game, they seem to marry both together very well. And certainly there is still going to be bigger competition to come particularly this this upcoming week with Notre Dame. But I think when you look at an offense that, you know, I agree with Ryan Days and Jim Knowles when they say, you know, Austin Reed from Western Kentucky is an NFL quarterback. Malachi Corley from Western Kentucky is an NFL wide receiver. And Ohio State was pass defense continued to look strong against them. Whereas when we, we saw last year when Ohio State played against top competition, 
it didn't fare well in past defense. And so again, bigger tests to come, including the one coming up this week. But seeing what we saw from the defense against Western Kentucky gives me more confidence that this defensive improvement is real. 100%. And, you know, it's not that they were alone in being impressive either. I think, especially, you know, that second quarter offensive explosion that they had uh, 35 points in, in one quarter, the second highest quarter for the Buckeyes since 1951. We thought the offense might get into a better rhythm with Kyle McCord being the outright starter. Um, and he really showed the next step, too, right? 19 to 23 passing. That's over 80%, 318 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. And yes, we talked about it in the press box after the game. There were a lot of plays where his receivers were wide open. It wasn't like, you know, he didn't need NFL level ball placement on some of those throws, but still showing that confidence, that next step in the progression to put the ball in places where those guys could make plays. I thought one telling pass early on in the game was on Ohio State's first touchdown drive when he threw a fourth down conversion pass to a Mecca Egbuka that wasn't a perfectly placed ball, but it was in a place where Mecca was able to leap up and make a play on it and convert that first down. I think he's giving these wide outs, which are, you know, the just receiving core is kind of inarguably the best in the country, right? He's giving these guys a chance now to go and make plays on the football. And I think if you're doing that with Marvin Harrison Jr., with Emeka Igboka, as long as those guys are healthy, you're going to have success in the passing game. Yeah, I think just overall, it seemed like the offense was in a better rhythm this past week. And that's what we thought was going to happen with Kyle McCord becoming the outright starter rather than what we saw the first couple of weeks with, you know, Devin Brown getting inserted in there for a series and that seeming to kind of break up some of the offensive ribbon that Ohio State had. But just having McCord out there, it, it seemed like everybody on offense was more comfortable. Ryan Day said it that Kyle McCord had his best week of practice last week. He said, I don't know if that's a coincidence, but I would guess that it's not a coincidence that uh, when he was told he's going to be the starter, that's just going to give him an extra boost of confidence, an extra boost of comfortability. And I think it helps him and everybody to just be able to go up there and just play. So rather than every series become a referendum on the quarterback competition, now we know it's Kyle's offense. Now it's just about Kyle going out there and running the offense. And certainly the way that he played on Saturday only affirmed what we already believed that Ryan Day made the right decision by making Kyle McCord the starting quarterback last week. Give credit to Devin Brown too. He came in there and his first drive in the game had a really good drive, capped it off with a beautiful pass, probably the best pass we saw all day uh, to Carnell Tate for a 28-yard touchdown, the first touchdown of both of their respective Ohio State careers. But I I still think based on everything we saw over the course of Saturday's game, you know, we saw Devin throw an interception on a batted pass on his next drive. Everything we saw over the course of Saturday's game affirmed the idea that Kyle McCord is the right guy to lead this Ohio State offense this year. And it's so important because when we were talking about this quarterback competition a month ago, you know, you you made the point then that it was really important for Ohio State to get into a rhythm with one quarterback before this Notre Dame game. And now that this Notre Dame game is here, it feels like Ohio State has accomplished that. I would agree, you know, and uh, who's to say this is a much different challenge for McCord. Uh, this Notre Dame is secondary is legit, as we'll get into. But I, I think, yeah, he found that rhythm and that comfortability. It feels like the offense is truly his now. You know, it's he's got a command of it. He's got a chemistry with a lot of the different weapons. He's got just control of the offense, it feels like, and that con and the confidence that comes with that. Uh, now, outside McCord, I thought the running game and the offensive line generally looked the best they've looked this week. There were some holes uh, that were opened up. Uh, Chip Tranum's 39-yard touchdown run stands out, or 40-yard, 39-40, one of those two. Stands 40. out in my mind, 40. Stands out in my mind as a play where, I mean, that was a massive hole. They were able to open up some ferocious down blocks in the middle of the offensive line uh, on that play 
play and just the way they were able to move the ball on the ground as well against Western Kentucky. I mean, Travion ended up with 13 carries for 88 yards and another two score game. He continues to look fantastic. Trey Annum had five carries for 56 and a score. Um, and those two were, those were the main two we saw while the game was still in contest. Really though, Again, just on the whole, the offensive line, it felt took another step this week, started to gel and is playing at a higher level than we saw in the first two weeks. Yep, I would agree with that. Like you said, much like you said of McCord, a much tougher test coming this week against a Notre Dame defensive line that's going to be by far the best Ohio State has faced this season. Western Kentucky, not a team that's particularly known for being stout up front. And so You'd expect the offensive line to look good, but again, you know, there's a difference between just expecting something to look good and actually going out there and doing it. So I think for them to go out and do it, it did seem like everything was in a better rhythm there up front, but that group of five guys is learning more how to play with each other and and how to play to its strengths. And now you got to go into a really tough game and prove it, a game where Ohio State is going to need to be able to lean on their running game to be successful in this game, but I think certainly uh, against Western Kentucky, we saw better things in that area than we saw in the first two games. We saw more success moving the ball in third and short situations. And so I think, you know, there's just a lot of, you know, Ryan Day used the point of we went into last week's game wanting to build momentum for, for this team. And it feels like certainly on the offensive side of a ball, Ohio State was able to do that. I think they already had good momentum on defense and they continued to build upon that. I think on offense, we could both agree that they needed some more momentum and I think they got bad against Western Kentucky. No, I agree with you 100%. And, you know, I think, you know, all the discussion that happened in the first few weeks about possessions, how much time is given, you know, under these new clock rules, the number of plays, etc. You know, what had Dave been saying? He said, all of that doesn't matter if you're executing on third downs, if you're playing good situational football, you're, you're just executing on the whole as an offense. Ohio State scored 63 points and only ran 60 plays on Saturday. And I think you saw what happens. And there were a couple of third and short con- versions early in this game, which kind of got forgotten about in the long haul because Ohio State ended up being so explosive in that second quarter onward. Uh, But there were some early third and short conversions in this game that I thought set a good tone for the offense. And, you know, they showed some improvements in that area of executing in situational football. So what's that more of product of playing better on offense or playing a different style of defense in your eyes, Dan? I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, if you watched Western Kentucky, there were a lot of times where they left a lot of open space out there on the field. You know, they're a kind of defense that they thrive on trying to get takeaways and, and making game changing plays. And, you know, they did that early in the game, second Ohio State second drive. They were able to strip sack Kyle McCord. And, you know, we saw it. I mean, you know, you, it's easy to forget, like early in the second quarter, this game looked like it could be a battle. It was a 14 to 10 game. And then it just, very quickly broke open in Ohio State's favor. And and that's what Ohio State can do. When We've seen that in recent years. When Ohio State is at its best, that's what it can do. It can turn on the Jets very quickly offensively, and it, it, can, it can turn a close game into a blowout very quickly. And that's what happened in this, this second quarter of this game, which is something, again, we, we really, you know, we again, Ohio State won convincingly in both of its first games against Indiana and Youngstown State. But it was a little bit of a slog to get there. This game, it felt like we really saw the full potential of this Ohio State team. And again, that does go back to playing complimentary football because, I mean, Western Kentucky, I give Western Kentucky credit. Like, if you're going to beat Ohio State, don't go in there and punt. You don't go in there and be aggressive, take some chances, which is exactly what Western Kentucky did. They did not punt once before halftime. As a result of that, Ohio State got some turnovers on downs. They got the ball back in good position several times. And so that helped the offense. Like that was a factor in the fact that Ohio State was able to score 63 points on 60 plays. Some of it was better execution. Some of it was better field position, you know, but it, but, you know, certainly it does show that when we're talking about, you know, the lower offensive production in those first two games, it's not just about the number of plays or possessions because Ohio State ran the same exact number of plays against Western Kentucky 
than it did against Youngstown State. Yet no one was talking about that after the game because it didn't hold Ohio State back the way it seemingly did in the first two games. And so, you know, there was kind of the idea going into this game of Ohio State could end up with a lot more possessions. That didn't really happen. It was just that Ohio State was more efficient with the possessions it had on offense and defensively it made a lot of plays that put the offense in good positions or in two cases made plays where the offense didn't even take the field because they scored the ball themselves. Yeah, I I mean the defensive performance over these first three weeks has been just really impressive and really I think what you know some of us behind the scenes might have seen this day defense as being capable of and I, I think what a lot of fans wanted to see this defense take the next step and the fact you could limit these explosives against a team that again had the most passing yards in all of college football returned a legitimate NFL quarterback a legitimate NFL wide receiver you know this this is not a defensive performance that I think fans should discount you can put some stock into this defense based on how they played in this game now whereas against Indiana Western Kentucky yes they were dominant but it was you know an Indiana team that came out and ran a surprise triple option attack because they didn't have much else to do on offense and it's still really you know there, there's a lot of question marks on that Indiana offense and then Youngstown State's an FCS team this was a legitimate offense that the defense continued to show a dominant performance against. It's going to be more important this week. I think they're going to play, you know, Sam Notre Dame's got a lot of great pieces on offense too, that we're going to get to, but you know, some very positive signs talking about some in individual standouts defensively from that game though. I think Tyleek Williams won both. I, I believe the team's player of the game, right? And ours at 11 warriors of a team named Denzel Burke, the player of the game. Team, when team was Denzel Burke. That's right. We gave at 11 warriors, Tyleek Williams player of the game. And I look seven tackles from an interior defensive lineman is outstanding. You really don't see that very much, especially at the college level and a sack in this one had the touchdown fumble recovery with a little fun celebration afterward, you know, the Tommy rub or whatever. But I, I think, you know, as much as I've been on the Mike Hall trumpet, as much as I've been, calling for him to get more reps as the season has gone on. Ty Leak's shown that he might be among the best defensive tackles in college football too uh, with, with performances like this. He's looked very strong to open the season and, uh, you know, Dan's, I know Dan's on that free 91 train, so uh, give, give us some thoughts on Ty Leak there, Dan. Well, we did a, a exercise before the season, the Buckeye 20, where our staff ranked the top 20 players on the team, Tyleek Williams did not get a single vote in the top 20. And if we do that, we're, we're going to do that again next week. Right now, I would put Tyleek Williams on my top 10. That's how good Tyleek Williams has been. I think he's been their most disruptive defensive lineman on a consistent basis. He is making a ton of plays. And, you know, he was kind of a guy in past years where it was like he'd flash once in a while, but didn't seem to make a consistent impact from week to week, seemed to be stamina concerns. He played 50 plays against Western Kentucky, which was a career high, and he was impactful the entire game. And so I, I think Tyleek is someone who has really become a star on this defensive line. And you think of that quartet of third-year guys that they have. We've seen Mike Hall flash. I think Jack Sawyer, JT Tuomolowau, neither of them has a sack yet this year, but I think they both played their best games of a year by far against Western Kentucky. If you go back and watch the game, and I think Pro Football Focus had Jack Sawyer with seven pressures and JT with six, they were they were bringing pressure on Austin Reed a lot. They Austin Reed was doing a good job of getting rid of a ball to avoid sacks, but they they were bringing pressure constantly throughout the game. I especially Jack, I thought really jumped out to me for someone who I felt the first couple of weeks like we're not really seeing much out of Jack Sawyer. I thought he really had, you know, probably the best game he's played as a Buckeye against Western Kentucky. And uh, Jim Knowles felt the same way. He said both of those guys, quote, played excellent on Saturday. And so I think you can certainly see the potential for this defensive line. We've been kind of waiting for it to really become what it can be. But I think you see with, with, with that quartet of juniors in particular, Tyleek Williams, Mike Hall, JT Tuomolowau, and Jack Sawyer. If if they can start getting the best of those guys on a consistent basis, 
this defensive line has the potential to be special. No, I agree. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that we didn't talk about maybe as much in the offseason as we should have is, you know, the ability to get consistent pressure and create an uncomfortable quarterback is just as important as the actual sack production. And that's what you saw from Jack and JT on Saturday. I was, again, really, like you said, really impressed with the step Jack Sawyer took. I I thought against Youngstown State, there were some plays where he wasn't getting off the ball as fast as the other guys on the line. And that is you know, that's the most important thing almost when you're talking about defensive line play is that get off. You know, I had a D line coach when I was in high school, not to compare like, Oh, you know, D four Ohio high school football with what Ohio state does. But there was an old saying, and I think multiple D line coaches have this, the guy who gets his first two steps in the ground first wins 90% of battles. And Jack, I think had some deficiencies in that area. Week two that he addressed in week three, you know, he took that step, (laughs) <laughs> first step that step in week against western kentucky and a lot of um you know that success that you needed to see from the ohio state defensive ends getting consistent pressure it's going to be much tougher this week this is a huge step up in offensive tackle competition they're going to see with an all-american returning at jo- in joe alt for notre dame and blake fisher not much of a drop off on the other side of that Notre Dame offensive line. So they're going to need to be bring their A game against the Fighting Irish. But this was a step they needed to take. Um, and for JT, too, getting that consistency from last year. And now, um, as Jim Knowles says, coverage and rush, you know, they move as one, they operate as one. Ohio State's back end has continued to look very good throughout this year. Someone who's stood out to me, Dan, as much as anyone these first weeks is Josh Proctor. I think he's solidified himself as this team's free safety. Uh, He had two pass breakups in this game, five tackles. Uh, One of those uh, pass breakups came on a third down play early that uh, eventually led to a fourth down turnover on downs. I think that he's shown, you know, we always knew that he had an ability against the run and he continued showing that against Indiana, that triple option offense. He can play downhill as a safety, but it was the deep coverage that you and I both talked last week. We were interested to see in him from him in this game, assuming he played coming off an injury. And I thought he showed that he looked very solid on the back end. And uh, as you know, the defense continues to look to limit the big plays that cost them last year, him maintaining that level of efficiency in pass coverage is going to be key for this defense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talked about it a few weeks ago when Jim Knowles was declining to name a starter at free safety. That that was the big question mark. Like we thought maybe that was like a hole in this defense. And based on what we've seen for Josh Proctor for two games against two completely different styles of offense. Now, I think there's a lot of reason to be confident in Josh Proctor's ability uh, to be that free safety, to play on all three downs, to play against different kinds of competition. Again, bigger tests coming this week. So we're still remains to be seen a lot of the times that he's struggled has been in big games against top competition and so he's still got something to prove but we're certainly seeing the pieces there uh, of him finally starting to become that more consistent player that Ohio State has been waiting for him to become for a long time mentioned Denzel Burke before we didn't name him our defensive player of the game but we certainly could have I mean realistically Denzel Burke could have been the defensive player of a game for every game so far this season. Like he's been that good. I think, I mean, I, I said it all off season. I, I, I was banging that drum all off season. Cause there were a lot of people in the off season who didn't even want Denzel Burke to start. And I said all along, Denzel Burke got a bad rap last year. Cause he had a few bad games. He was a lot better towards the end of the year. And if everything we were hearing this off season was true, he, he has all the tools to be one of the best cornerbacks in the country. And that's exactly what he's been so far this year. I mean, he, he has been dominant. He's making plays on the ball. And, you know, when you have a guy like that, I mean, you think back to the last time Ohio State had a really good defense was 2019. And had Jeff Okuda playing that same kind of role at corner and being that dominant guy. And when you have that guy, it can make such an impact on the entire defense. And through three games this season, again, tough for tests to come, but based on everything we've seen so far this season, there's reason to believe that Denzel Burke is becoming that guy for Ohio State. 
Yeah, I'm already projecting him as an All-American, Dan. I think he's shown that caliber of play against, you know, this was, again, if I, I think it's okay to believe any hype that is built around the secondary coming off this week just because of how prolific Western Kentucky's pass offense can be. Now, they've got to back it up as the season goes, but, you know, I, like you, was very high on Denzel coming into this season, and he's looked like himself. He's truly embraced what makes him great. He's a physical corner. He's very in your face. He loves to trash talk. I wrote a story about that before the season that got a mixed reaction, I think, from some from some fans seeing that and saying, well, play first, then back it up. I think he plays well when he's talking his smack, when he's that's that's just who he is. That's how some guys get the best out of themselves. And you've seen that from him these first two weeks, not only talk three weeks, not the only talking the smack but backing it up and being out there and being a leader for a corner group that I think is really physical on the whole we talked with them about that Denzel specifically about that after the Western Kentucky game they're calling themselves the Scunions we don't really know what it means but uh, Denzel didn't really seem to want to elaborate so we'll leave it up to whatever interpretation you want but it has a fitting moniker a fitting ring to it um, for the physicality of this group you know both Denzel and Jordan Hancock forced fumbles in this game with big hits. They're guys that want to be up in your face. They want the challenge of guarding the best receivers on the opposing offense man to man. And there's just so much to like about what Denzel Burke's done in these first three weeks and really stepping up and being that guy that can take away a team's best receiver. And that makes such a ripple impact through the rest of the secondary. Would you have a true lockdown cover man corner that can do that a la Jeff Okuda? You mentioned Jordan Hancock, and I think, you know, this was a valuable game, I think, for Jordan Hancock, because we saw it early in the game. I think Jordan Hancock struggled. I think he, he, you talk about having to go up against that best player on the other team. That was Jordan Hancock's job in this game, because Malachi Corley lines up in the slot, and Jordan Hancock, as we predicted going into this game, played most of the snaps there at nickel, with this being a, a spread, pass-happy offense. Sonny Styles didn't play as much. Jordan Hancock played that nickel role most of a game. And I think early on, you know, he kind of got baptized a little bit. There were a few plays where he was out of position and he gave up big catches. But as the game went on, he seemed to gain confidence. And I think that's something that can be very valuable for him to, you know, he, he took his lumps in that game, but he showed that he could work through them. And so I think that was an encouraging thing to see from Jordan and, you know, I think it's going to vary a lot from week to week, much like Jim Knowles said on Tuesday, how those nickel snaps are going to be divided up. Like you think about a Notre Dame team this week, that's more of a pro style offense. I think we're probably going to see more sunny styles than we saw last week. But against opponents like Western Kentucky, they are going to need a guy like Jordan Hancock to really be a true slot corner rather than a nickel safety. And he was far from perfect, but I think we saw enough good things from him to feel good about his capability in that role going forward. Right. And, you know, I, I think uh, the big play he allows early to Malachi Corley, it's understanding when you're guarding, understandable when you're guarding someone of that caliber, right? I mean, it is a true NFL receiver. I think we're seeing the maturation of Hancock moving to that role because it is a lot different um, over the course of these first few weeks, right? He's adjusting to, you know, this is his role on the defense now, it seems. I think Davis and Igbenosin and Burke, as we discussed, are kind of locked in as the main two outside corners they're going to use. And then you use Hancock to match up on true slot receivers when offenses are showing you that look. And he's a great complement to Styles in that role, um, I think, you know, and just the way that Knowles has used both of them I think has been very good, uh, especially the way he deployed Hancock against Western Kentucky in this one. Uh, for me, he looked better and better as this game went on. I think it was a learning curve. Uh, when you talk about guarding someone of Corley's caliber, it was also the most he's played in the position all year. Uh, and he really seemed to get more comfortable with that position as this game went and then started making bigger plays, both in coverage and with the hit that you know jarred the ball loose and created the first turnover of the game for Ohio State. We've talked about everyone but the linebackers on the defense to this point, but we should talk about them too because, I mean, Tommy Eichenberg, he had six tackles on the opening series of the game. I believe he finished with 10. And I think Steel Chambers had one of the best games we've seen from him as a Buckeye. Made several big plays in this game, including an interception 
in the third quarter was really flying around sideline to sideline. And, you know, I think you're really seeing those two guys. You know, we talked about it before the season. It, it felt like those guys had a chance to be one of the best linebacker tandems in the country. And I think that's exactly what they're becoming. And I think they've really solidified themselves in that role. You know, I know a lot of people going into the season are hungry to see more CJ Hicks. I think for people who still want to see more CJ Hicks, maybe as we get into a bigger game here, maybe that opens the door for the Jack position to make a comeback. And maybe that's a role in which CJ Hicks could play. I actually think that it would be a good idea to use that role in some concept. I think as much as they've been dropping their defensive ends into coverage, I think some of those plays could probably be better served for someone like a CJ Hicks playing Jack. But I think if those two base linebacker positions, it's pretty clear Jim Knowles is still going to ride with Tommy and Steele. And based on everything we've seen from him so far of his season, he should because they're both playing at a really high level. Yeah, I mean, like you said, among the best linebacker tandems in the country to this point, Steele has always had an ability to play sideline to sideline. And I even, you know, going back to last year, I thought felt he was a great compliment to Tommy in that regard because Tommy is so instinctual playing downhill and really containing anything that's in the box and sweeping up and making a ton of tackles, you know, seeing the forest through the trees in Jim Knowles' terms. But Steele has combined that athleticism to run all over the field and clean up a lot of the outside stuff with better instincts. He has clearly taken a next step in the football IQ department this season, and you're seeing that not only in the regard of you know realizing more where a play is going, knowing where to be, knowing his role a little more on specific against specific plays against schemes, but also in his tackling. I, I think he's become one of the most sure tacklers on this team. He may, had some uh, another couple of really good open field tackles in this game. That's something he's shown throughout the season. He's his open field tackling has gotten better to complement that sideline to sideline athleticism and the improved football IQ. And I think together, again, that's becoming one of the best linebacker tandems in the country. The other thing with Steele is he's got, I believe, what now, five interceptions on his Ohio State career? Four or five. He's got uh, several. And he that is something that allows you to play the dime package we saw Saturday with two linebackers as opposed to some, you know, a lot of times you see a dime package, it's four D linemen, one linebacker, and then six defensive backs. Steele is a good enough pass coverage defender to stay out there on third and longs, even if he's not blitzing. Uh, he's sneaky good at the underneath zones and maybe matching up on a running back or a tight end out of the backfield. So yeah, those two are... You don't need to rotate them. I, I think they're the two best linebackers on the roster right now and two of the best in the country. A stat that is certainly telling for Ohio State's strong defensive start. Ohio State has now held its first three opponents to 20 combined points. The fewest the team has allowed through its first three games since 1975. Now, competition certainly has something to do with that because Ohio State has not played a marquee opponent yet. But nevertheless, to hold its first free opponents to just 20 points, that's impressive. 100%. Um, you know, I, I think results are results, regardless of who they're against. This is major college football. Western Kentucky, again, I've, I've said it multiple times this pie podcast, this was a legitimate dynamic offense that uh, I think is is someone you can tip your hat at, you know, only allowing 10 points to. You can hang your hat on. The, that's the correct expression there, Dan. Uh, hang your hat on only allowing 10 points to this team because it's a legit offense. And there's bigger tests to come keep saying it but this defense has shown you everything you wanted to see from them um particularly in you know limiting some of those big plays that cost them last year only been five of uh, 20 plus yards through three games um and they've created more big plays on their own end so far so it's going to be more important than ever against notre dame this week but uh everything i wanted to see from this defense and you know before the season i said they were capable of being of the same caliber of that 2019 group, uh, I think, you know, from my eyes, I've seen it through these three weeks. Yeah. And I think, you know, the growth, just what we've seen from this team overall through the first three games is, you know, reason why Ohio State has confidence going into this week's game against Notre Dame. You know, Ryan Day said it on Tuesday that, quote, I think we have a pretty good idea of who our team is and where we're at. And I think, you know, Ohio State probably feels better 
going into this Notre Dame game right now in week four than it would have in week one. Now, the same is true on the other side of this equation, too, because Notre Dame is coming into this game 4-0. and And you know, Marcus Freeman talked about it in his press conference on Monday. And I think, you know, realistically, if we're going to talk about the two press conferences from Marcus Freeman on Monday and Ryan Day on Tuesday, we didn't learn very much because this is one of those games. It's a coach speak kind of game in the sense that neither side wants to give the other side anything. You know, both sides are listening to every word the other side said this week, and they don't want to give anything that could potentially tip the opponent off on their game plan or give them that kind of advantage. So you're not going to hear a lot this week that's going to be necessarily illuminating or groundbreaking from these coaches. But there was one thing that Marcus Freeman said on Monday that I think we both thought was very interesting. And I'll read his quote. He said, well, for context, he was asked about last year's game when Ohio State beat Notre Dame 21 to 10. And Marcus Freeman said, quote, part of a mindset going into that game was trying to control the ball as long as we could limit their offensive possessions. It's still got to be complimentary football as we go into this Saturday, but I don't want to play not to lose. I don't want to play that way. I want our guys to be aggressive and our guys to be attacking. We will play complimentary football, but our objective isn't just to hold the ball and huddle every single play. Kind of what my mindset probably was last year. I think that's a telling quote because certainly last year's game, it was kind of a slugfest. It was, you know, it was kind of a bigger stage, but it kind of looked like what we saw in Ohio State's first couple games of a year where it was kind of, you know, a slog. Ohio State ultimately came up with a win, but neither team looked particularly sharp offensively. I think this year's game is going to have a different feel. One reason for that is the fact that it is being played in week four. Notre Dame, because they played in week zero, it's their fifth game. So both of these teams are now more confident in what they're doing going into this game. They're not just trying to find themselves at this point. And so I think both teams are are going into this game with some confidence that their game plans can be successful, even going against another top 10 team. Another reason, certainly, why Notre Dame has that confidence is Sam Hartman. And we've seen Sam Hartman make a big difference for this Notre Dame offense this year. You look at his statistics, 71% passing, 13 touchdowns with no interceptions. He currently has the nation's third best quarterback rating of 217.8. And and this is not a guy who's just, you know, checking the ball down the field. He has 18 passing plays of 20 plus yards this year. And so I think Sam Hartman has been a big upgrade for this Notre Dame offense. He's someone who has played a lot of football. He's a six-year senior. I think he started for four years at Wake Forest. And so he has played in a lot of big games. Maybe not a game this big, but he he has a lot of game experience. He has a lot of ability. And I think that is certainly something that gives Notre Dame confidence going into this game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this Notre Dame offense to me is better with him at quarterback uh, than it was last year already. I think uh, they have a statement when a uh, little bit, you know, beating NC State, an ACC opponent on the road by three touchdowns shouldn't be discounted. You know, I think that's kind of their best win to this point in the year. But you're right. It's just the overall feeling of this game being week four versus week one and Notre Dame's fifth game of the season is a lot different from last year. I, I do think there was a lot of general conservative efforts from both sides of the football in that game a year ago, both Ohio State and Notre Dame, I mean, because it was you're still figuring things out in week one. Ohio State this year in particular, I think you saw against Indiana, was solving a lot of questions. Now, last year, they weren't replacing a quarterback. They weren't replacing as much on the offensive line. They were replacing a lot more at receiver. And I think, you know, those week one questions generally for coaches are going to cause you to coach a little more conservative, a little more tight especially against a big opponent in week one, because you don't want to lose the game. Now, Ohio State and Notre Dame seem to have embraced a more aggressive mindset. Today, I asked a, Ryan Day a question about, you know, 
how he'll be on the sideline in this game because I thought it was interesting, you know, last year after they gave Georgia such a run and had, that was a great game, you know, at the end of the season. I know they ultimately lost, but that was kind of what you wanted to see from the offense. Day showed such emotion on the sideline and he talked about doing that more going forward. And he said, you know, when I asked him that question, he kind of pivoted to the whole team and saying, you know, that's kind of our mentality now. We want to be more aggressive. We want to show more emotion. We want to do those kinds of things. And that seems to be where Marcus Freeman is at too not wanting to play conservative. And I think he is taking a step as a head coach in year two, which showed in some more maturity in his answers, which I believe you alluded to, that he's being more aggressive. He's more confident in his own skin a little bit to go out and have Notre Dame play its game. And I think we're going to see a really good game on Saturday because of that. And it's, it's going to be a fun one to watch. A lot of talk about Sam Hartman, but the thing that should not be overlooked at all in this game is Notre Dame's rushing offense because uh, they, they have a running back who's been one of the best running backs in the country so far this year in Audric Estime. He is averaging 8.3 yards per carry. He leads the entire nation in runs of 10 plus yards of 15 and 20 plus yard runs of six and 10 yard plays from scrimmage with 18. And so that when you talk about a bigger test for the defense, that's what really makes this game dangerous for the defense. Because the first two weeks, they knew stopping the run was going to be the biggest challenge. Last week, they knew stopping the pass was going to be the biggest challenge. Now they've got to stop both. And, and that is where this becomes another level of test for this Ohio State defense is, you know, this is a Notre Dame offense that they're going to want to run the ball and then they're going to take a deep shot off play action. So how prepared will Ohio State's defense be for that style of offense? And that's certainly going to be one of the biggest questions for Ohio State going into this game. Yeah, frankly, you know, I, I know I've expressed a lot of confidence in the Ohio State defense throughout this episode. That's the one big question I have left for them that I think will be answered in this game is their interior run defense. Um, it was, you know, I think in the spring, even with some of the running back depth being in question, Travion, Mayan, you know, some of the injury concerns that were at the running back position in the spring, you were seeing the practices we got to watch the running even with a patchwork of line, this the defense was kind of being gashed a little bit up the middle by Chip Tranum and by Dallin Hayden in the spring. And I think there were some plays that were sneakily close to breaking for big gains in these first few weeks of the season that were runs up the middle. That you know, one guy doesn't make a tackle where he does, and it could go for a you know a huge run. You know, that cost them against Michigan last year. It's cost them in the past. So I don't think they played a team yet that can truly challenge them going up the middle on the ground like this Notre Dame team certainly can. I mean, estimate averaging 8.3 yards per carry. That's an insane number. And again, they haven't played competition to the level of Ohio State yet. But if Notre Dame is able to establish the run in this game, it set, opens the door for the entire offense. Freeman talked about it being their identity in his press conference a lot in that you know, in that kind of context, their Ohio State is going to need to shut down the run first, and that's going to limit some of what Notre Dame wants to do in the passing game with play action and some of those things uh, in this contest. Now we flip it to the other side of a ball. Notre Dame has also been excellent defensively so far this year. Fighting Irish currently have the nation's number four total defense in terms of yards allowed, as well as the number four pass defense in terms of yards allowed. And so uh, this is a defense that has really done a good job, much like Ohio State, of largely shutting down its opponents so far. Now, again, you mentioned the competition they've played. Really, the only you know significant competition Notre Dame has faced so far has been NC State. Their other wins have come against Navy, Tennessee State, and Central Michigan. So that helps make the numbers look a lot better. Nevertheless, I think this is clearly the best defense Ohio State will have faced this season. It's going to be a much tougher test than what Ohio State faced against Western Kentucky. There's not going to be the same kind of openings out there than there were last week. And so while we saw the offense take a clear step forward this past week, this is now another test. And it's certainly the biggest test to date for Kyle McCord, who has started four games as a Buckeye, but those games have been against Akron, Indiana, Youngstown State, and Western Kentucky. Now he's got to prove that he can be the guy in a top 10 game on the road. 
Yeah, um, this uh, pass defense is certainly going to challenge them. And uh, Brendan, similar to Ohio State, you know, secondary having a lockdown corner that kind of sets the tone for the whole thing. Brendan Morrison uh, for Notre Dame at corner is a, of a similar lockdown caliber to that preseason All-American guy that is really going to be uh, a problem when you're talking about trying to attack this secondary and they don't give up a lot of big plays either. That's something Ryan Day touched on. I think you're going to need to see more situational execution from this offense. It's going to be more demanded of McCord to complete passes on third down to be able to move the chains on the ground when it's third and three or shorter and keep sustained drives more so than the explosives that they were able to capitalize on against Western Kentucky. Uh, Also, Jack Kaiser, big uh, name at linebacker for Notre Dame, guy who's uh, far and away their leader in tackles so far this season. His instincts bring a lot uh, to this defense and kind of centering around, uh, you know, similar to how Tommy Eichenberg does for Ohio State. There's some similarities there, and uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how McCord is able to perform, uh, not only in his first true test against a, a really good defense, but his first true test on the road. Does he come out nervous? Is there some hiccups early on? You know, there, this is a big game experience for him. Uh, that's going to pay dividends down the road. Uh, but of course, you want to win it this week now with him under center. With all of this in mind, what kind of game do you expect on Saturday? Do you think we see a low scoring game like we did last year? Or with both of these teams being more comfortable in what they are at this point in the season with Notre Dame having a more explosive quarterback? Do you think we see more of a higher scoring game? I, th- I see it somewhere in the middle, Dan. I do. Uh, the I, my my official score prediction. I mean, w- w- I guess we'll give them later too. But it's thirty four twenty seven. Um, I think that in the kind of that thirties to twenties range, it's it, it's a matchup game in my eyes. Like Day and Freeman have been saying, this these two teams are going to present a lot of challenges for each other. And I think Ohio State's going to find enough success on the offense to surpass that thirty po- point mark. But I think also Notre Dame is going to have the execution there and with Hartman and the running game in tow going to be able to manufacture some offensive points in this game too. So yeah, I see it in that high 20s, low 30s range uh, for the game. How about you? Yeah, we we see it very similarly. My score prediction right now is Ohio State 31, Notre Dame 24. Honestly, before Saturday, I was leaning toward picking Ohio State to win by only three or four points. I've moved it up to seven because of how well Ohio State played on Saturday against Western Kentucky. And the fact that I think that offense found an extra gear that they might need in this game. I, 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 when I, when I make that score prediction, it's still very much just a guess. Like there's a lot of different ways I could see this game going because you know, we know how good Ohio State's offense can be at its best. We haven't seen Notre Dame play an offense like this yet. So is it possible that Ohio State could could score many more than that? It It's certainly possible. But, but, but the fact that I do think this is the best defense Ohio State has faced is going to make me go a little bit more conservative on that pre- prediction. Same thing on the other side of the ball. D- defensively, I mean, we've seen this. Ohio State defense be dominant. And so the the idea that Ohio State could hold Notre Dame to fewer points than that is, is something that I certainly think they are capable of. There's also the possibility that Notre Dame scores more than that, that you know, Notre Dame wins this game because we haven't seen Ohio State play a complete offense like this, which Notre Dame has. It's going to present a much tougher challenge. And so uh, you know, there's a lot of unknowns for both sides going into this game because it is the best team that both opponents have played. I do fully expect that this is going to be a four quarter battle. Like I will be surprised if either team wins in lopsided fashion. It's not I don't rule it out, but I I think the most likely outcome for this game is it's going to be a four quarter game that's decided by one or two scores. In terms of just my confidence going into the game, I think I said it to you in the press box before Saturday's game. I saw this as a 50-50 game before Saturday. Now I see it as a 60-40 game for Ohio State. I think seeing Ohio State kick it into another gear, go into that game saying we're going to take it to another level and then backing up those words, showing that it did have another level, 
that gave me more confidence that Ohio State is the better team in this matchup. Ohio State is the more talented team in this matchup. If Ohio State can play the way it did last week, Ohio State should win this game. But it's still, you know, I'm at 60% in terms of confidence because this is a tough place to go play. You're going to play in one of the most historic venues in the entire sport. It's certainly going to be a loud environment that you're going to play in and you're going to play against a really good team, the best team you've played all year uh, against a team that certainly is going to be very hungry to beat you because they too have college football playoff aspirations and they lost at your place last year. And so they're going to really want to turn the tables. And so I, I mean, it's certainly one of those games that can go either way. I think it's going to be a great battle, but I'm going into this game with 60% confidence that Ohio State will win. What are what is your level at? I right right at yours. 60% was uh, exactly what I was going to say uh, when we were discussed this win confidence thing. Uh, I the way I see this game playing out is I do see a little bit of early nerves from Ohio State. I think maybe the first couple of drives on offense, there's going to be some hiccups. There's going to be some shakiness, uh, but then then they might even trail this game at halftime. Uh, but I think they'll win the second half. I think the third, fourth quarter on is when they'll start to take control of the game, uh, start to pull away. You know, and again, I have this one score game. Um, I don't like you said. I would be surprised if it's a blowout. On either side, I certainly see a path to victory for Notre Dame. Uh, if one team is going to blow the other out, I would certainly pick it to be Ohio State more um, because I do think there's a world where while Notre Dame has looked well-rounded on both sides of the ball, perhaps there's Ohio State's just kind of a... Um, it's a it's a little bit of a boil it's a little bit of a boiling point you know it's a, it's something more than they have um, you know they just have a tick better talent on both sides of the ball all around and that can kind of supersede what Notre Dame does that's the way I could see this turning into a blowout for Ohio State I don't see it going that way like I said my prediction is a one score win for Ohio State where they kind of take control of the game in the second half and eventually prove to be the better team after some of those nerves wear off. A good point by Ryan Day on Tuesday. He said, quote, in matchup games, it really doesn't matter the score as long as you win. And so uh, we could talk about the score. But at the end of the day, this is one of those games that, you know, it, it's not about, you know, when, when we're talking about Ohio State versus Western Kentucky or Youngstown State, we have to talk about, you know, the 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 bigger picture stuff and how it's going to how you know, that playing at that level could affect from the rest of the season because, you know, a lot of those games, it's, it's fully expected going in, but Ohio state is, is going to win. And so, you know, that's why you, a lot of times just winning for Ohio state isn't enough of those games. You want to really make a statement in those games, but in this game, the focus shouldn't be on anything, but just beat Notre Dame. This is too big of a game. It, it's not about, you know, the, the next really big game Ohio State is going to play after this is a month away against Penn State. So don't watch this game thinking, OK, is, is this Ohio State good enough to beat Penn State or Michigan? Just worry about whether Ohio State's good enough to beat Notre Dame, because that's all this week is about. And then we'll go from there. With that in mind, you know, this 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 game is going to have major implications for Ohio State, certainly in terms of its. Uh, college football playoff goals, uh, not in terms of its Big Ten goals, because it's not a conference game. And so Ohio State uh, win or lose in this game is is still going to be one and zero in the Big Ten. And they're still going to have to go beat Michigan and Penn State to go win the Big Ten. But in terms of that, you know, college football playoff margin for error that you might have if you're Ohio State, you know, it's kind of like the position Ohio State was in a couple years ago when it lost to Oregon, where that didn't eliminate Ohio State from anything, but it left them with no no margin for error the rest of the way. And then when Ohio State ultimately lost the regular season finale to Michigan, they were left out of a playoff. And so, uh, you know, that's really, you know, the stakes of this game long term for Ohio State is if you win this game, it's a big feather in your cap for a college ball playoff conversation where let's say you do lose a game in the regular season after this game having a non-conference win over Notre Dame, if Notre Dame remains a highly ranked team, 
that could help you down the line in potentially getting into the college ball playoff over another team with a similar resume. But if you lose this game, you're you're then now going to the rest of a season where you really got to win every single week. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. You know, this uh, eliminates the margin for error in terms of, you know, you can afford, you beat Notre Dame, you can afford to, to have a hiccup along the way from here on in and still make the playoffs when there's only four teams. You know, now that uh, you, you want to maintain that margin for error because it's a long season. And, um, you know, you could lose to Penn State or Michigan and still win the Big Ten through some series of events and be able to make the playoff that way if you have this win against Notre Dame in your back pocket. Um, obviously, it doesn't affect anything for the Big Ten race directly, um, uh, other than, like, if there were a ridiculous series of tiebreakers. But, uh, yeah, this, uh, this is... And also, I think for this team, maybe important when you talk about just the confidence going forward and knowing that you have the capability to win this type of game, you know, to go on the road and beat a team of this caliber, because you're going to have to do it again if you want to upend the Michigan rivalry trend that's been happening the last couple seasons. You know, that game is in Ann Arbor this year. Uh, you want to see yourself be able to go and win a matchup game on the road for the big even bigger one that uh comes down the line and i think that is something else for this team that could be of some importance not you know there's a lot of time between now and then if they were to lose to notre dame you're going to get a lot better as a team before you play michigan at the end of november but uh confidence is a lot in this sport and i I think it would be big for the team uh, just to prove that they can do it uh now kind of looking Looking at the rest of college football, moving off this game a little bit, you know, Ohio State looked great this week, but uh, plenty of other teams around the country looked pretty okay. Didn't look good at all. Uh, in some cases, I think, uh, you know, when you talk about Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, Texas, Alabama, uh, there wasn't for a week of college football that was supposed to be pretty, di- uh, you know, below the mark in terms of level of competition, there were some really interesting games. Alabama was in a four-quarter game with South Florida, and Texas was in a four-quarter game with Wyoming, of all teams. You know, Michigan looked kind of shoddy against Bowling Green. Uh, Dan, what were your takeaways from from the top of college football, and are we just in the everybody sucks mode of the season right now? Well, I don't think it's that everybody sucks. I think it's that everybody has its flaws, and I think that is an important thing to kind of keep Ohio State in its place in the national picture in perspective where, you know, the first couple weeks it was kind of like, hey, Ohio State doesn't really look like this championship contending team. And then this past week, you look at most of the other teams that are like really at the forefront of that conversation. And most of them kind of look that way this week where it's like, yeah, they look pretty mad. So I think my overall takeaway from it is nobody looks great every week. So, you know, when you when every game becomes a referendum on whether a team is good enough to win the national championship, I think this past week kind of should have been a reminder of. No, not every game needs to be a referendum on whether Ohio State is good enough to win the national championship because nobody is going out there and dominating every single week. You know, if you if you just went off this week of games, you'd probably say Ohio State looked like the best team in the country. And so, uh, you know, these things are going to fluctuate from week to week. But I think that's my big takeaway from it is that. You know, you know, everybody's got its flaws. Everybody in college football is beatable this year. And so, you know, Ohio State doesn't need to look perfect every week. Ohio State just needs to keep winning. That's certainly the case this week. Yeah, one team who did look great, Dan, and I know a team you've been uh, big on uh, this season is Washington, uh, beat Michigan State. You know, I think a lot of people were expecting Washington to beat Michigan State uh, in that game, you know, especially with Mel Tucker being under suspension and now being fired since then. Uh, But just the fashion, the dominance of how Washington did it, racing out to a 41-0 lead and then ultimately winning 41-6 and then uh, Michigan State, you know, just not really having any answers at all. Michael Penix, 473 yards through the air, four touchdowns. Uh, Dan, is Michael Penix the, the top Heisman contender in the country all of a sudden? He might be. I mean, that was my preseason pick to win the Heisman, and I feel pretty good about it right now. The way that he's playing, 
uh, certainly uh, he's putting himself right in the forefront of that conversation. And I think Washington, again, a team that I had in my preseason college ball playoff predictions is looking like that caliber team. And I mean, but the Pac-12 right now, I mean, they're probably the most fun conference in college football right now. When you just look at Washington, USC, Oregon, Utah, Colorado is, is uh, they, they had a much tougher game this past week than they did the week before against Nebraska, but they still found a way to win uh, going into two big games in the next two weeks against Oregon and USC. And you've got Utah as a good team that conference, Oregon State, Washington State, just a lot of teams in the Pac-12 playing at a really high level right now. So it's going to be a fun conference to watch. I think, you know, you do have the fret with that many good teams in the conference of, you know, they could all kind of eat their own and, and hand each other losses. But I also think the Pac-12 is positioning itself right now where, you know, if you, you get into debates of those, you know, one loss teams, the Pac-12 is going to be a lot better positioned in those debates than they've been in the past because of the depth that the conference looks to have right now. And so uh, I, I think, you know, the Pac-12 is going to be really interesting to follow, but I still really like Washington as a team, but I think uh, has a chance to emerge as a Pac-12 champion and be a college football playoff team this year. Yeah, they certainly look better than the SEC right now, Dan. Uh, these uh, the last the first three weeks of the season have not been kind to the Southeastern Conference. Tennessee uh, lost to an unranked Florida team uh, this this week. Obviously, that's an in conference game, but another team in the top fifteen of the rankings for the SEC that suffers an early season stumble after you know that's already been seen from LSU against Florida State, from Alabama against Texas. We already talked about how Alabama struggled again this week against South Florida. Georgia won what was only a two-score game against South Carolina, 24-14. to 14. Um, they, they, It doesn't feel like a year where the SEC is likely to get two teams in the college football playoff, and frankly, might be a level playing field when you talk about if their conference champion emerges with one loss. Is it going to be as much of a guarantee that they're in the playoff? Probably still, right? But it just feels like the SEC stranglehold on the sport isn't as tight as it's been in years past, and perhaps, in fact, the power conferences, the best ones, are on a pretty level playing field right now. At least that's how I'm seeing it. I'm curious where your head's at. Yeah, nothing is guaranteed, but I would certainly still bet on the SEC having a team in the college ball playoff. I would bet on Georgia being that team. I still think that Georgia's really good. I don't count you know LSU out of it. Uh, you know, there's certainly other teams in that conference as well that still have a chance to make some noise. Uh, another very interesting game in that conference this week with you know Alabama and Ole Miss, and I I am not going to be surprised if we're sitting here next week and Alabama has been eliminated from a college ball playoff race because the way that they have struggled in terms of their offense and their quarterback play this year, uh, tough game this week against Ole Miss. Ole Miss certainly has a chance to put itself in the college ball playoff conversation if it can beat Alabama this week and improve to four and zero, but. Uh, a an early must win game for Alabama, and uh, they've got some major questions uh, going into this game, uh, particularly at quarterback. They did ultimately name Jalen Milrow their starter this week, but he's going to have to play better than he did against Texas if Alabama is going to come out of this game with a win. Absolutely. I mean, they have no margin for error at all from here on in in terms of the college football playoff. Uh, When you talk about, you know, already having a loss on the resume to Texas, the struggles they've had. Uh, that's a game I'm very much looking forward to watching. Uh, if we, you know, if we get a chance to in the midst of covering Ohio State Notre Dame this Saturday. Um, yeah, there's a. Uh, and this is, I'm just excited, you know, Dan, I'm excited to hit the road. I'm excited to cover this game. I've never been to South Bend. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to want to check out that campus a little bit before the game, maybe kind of walk around a bit, take it all in and uh, then look forward to a great night of college football. Yeah, it's it's a great week of college football. I mean, if you even if you're just sitting at home, it's a great week of college football because uh, there are a lot of marquee games this week. You got Florida State going on the road to Clemson. You've got Colorado, Oregon. You've got UCLA, Utah. Uh, you've got Oregon State, Washington State, Iowa, Penn State. Just a lot of really interesting games in college football this week. Uh, so certainly a, a great weekend to watch college football. But uh, you know, I think we're going to be at the best game. I think uh, Ohio State Notre Dame is certainly uh, the game of a weekend. That's why college game days. 
going to be there, even though the game is on NBC. And uh, certainly a, a game that uh, is probably as important as any non-conference game in college football this year, and one in which we talked about learning something about Ohio State last week. I think we did. We're going to learn even more about Ohio State this week. And so we will be back here on RealPod Wednesdays next week uh, to recap everything uh, we saw in South Bend, win or lose. Uh, Ohio State uh, will be on a bye next week, but we're still going to have plenty to talk about next week as we'll be recapping the first game against Notre Dame. We'll take a look at the first month of the season as a whole and kind of look at what's next for the Buckeyes. And we might even get into a little bit of basketball talk next week. Ohio State's basketball media day is next Monday. And so while uh, football is certainly going to be the primary focus of this show uh, all fall, uh, we will, we might get into a little bit of basketball talk next week too uh, with a well-timed media day at the start of the football bye week. Yes, I'll be looking forward to it, Dan, as your uh, 11 Warriors basketball expert. Uh, you know, I'll be the main get boots on the ground covering the team this year. Uh, so I'm excited to see what Holden has to say uh, at media days and, and kind of get a general feeling for, uh, you know, where the coaching staff's head is at going into this season. I think even Chris Holtman will agree, though, that even his focus will be on Ohio State versus Notre Dame this week as uh, he is a big football fan. So uh, we will be there in South Bend, like Andy said, 7.30 p.m. Saturday night. Uh, lots of coverage to come this week on 11warriors.com before, during, and after that game. So be sure to check that out and join us again here on Real Pod Wednesdays next Wednesday.